Hi, this is David. Eating right is often hard these days, but eating better is easy with Factor's ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. Their meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. What are you waiting for? Discover Factor's wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash living50 and use code living50 to get 50% off. That's code living50 at factormeals.com slash living50 to get 50% off. Thank you. Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. Today's reading was edited and adapted from a speech delivered by Theodore Roosevelt in 1899. Today I would like to talk with you about the doctrine of the strenuous life, the life of toil and effort, of labor and strife. To preach the highest form of success which comes to the individual who shrinks not from danger, from hardship, nor from bitter toil, and who out of these wins the splendid ultimate triumph. A life of ignoble ease, a life of that peace which springs merely from lack of desire or power to strive after great things, is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual. I ask only that what every self-respecting citizen demands from themselves and their children shall be demanded of the country as a whole. Who among us would teach their children that the easy life is to be the first consideration in their eyes, to be the ultimate goal after which they strive? If you are rich and are worth your salt, you will teach your children that though they may have leisure, it is not to be spent in idleness. For wisely used leisure means merely that those who possess it, being free from the necessity of working for their livelihood, are all the more bound to carry on some kind of noble work in the sciences, the arts, and exploration of some kind, work of the type the world most needs and the successful carrying out of which reflects great honor upon themselves and helps or inspires others. We do not admire the person of timid peace. We admire the individual who embodies victorious effort, the one who never wrongs their neighbor, who is prompt to help a friend, but who has those vigorous qualities necessary to win in the stern strife 
of actual life. It is hard to fail, but it is worth never to have tried to succeed. In this life we get nothing save by effort. Freedom from effort in the present means merely that there has been stored up effort in the past. A person can be freed from the necessity of work only by the fact that parents or benefactors before them have worked to good purpose. If the freedom thus purchased is used aright, and the person still does actual work, though of a different kind, whether as a writer or a composer, whether in the field of politics or in the field of exploration, they show they deserve their good fortune. But if they treat this period of freedom from the need of actual labor as a period not of preparation, but of mere enjoyment, they show that they are simply a cucumber on the earth's surface, and they surely render themselves unfit to hold their own, if the need to do so should again arise. A mere life of these is not in the end a very satisfactory life. And above all, it is a life which ultimately makes those who follow it unfit for serious work in the world. As it is with the individual, so it is with the nation. It is a base falsehood to say that happy is the nation that has no history. Thrice happy is the nation that has a glorious history. Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much, because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. We cannot be content if we allow ourselves to rot by inches in ignoble ease within the borders of our own lives, taking no interest in what goes on beyond them sunk in a scrambling commercialism, heedless of the higher life, the life of aspiration, of toil and risk, busying ourselves only with the wants of our bodies for the day, until suddenly we should find that we have lost our great and adventurous qualities of character. If we are to be a really great people, we must strive in good faith to play a great part in our communities, in our country, and in the world. We cannot avoid meeting great issues. All that we can determine for ourselves is whether we shall meet them well or poorly. We cannot avoid the responsibilities that confront us. All that we can decide is whether we shall meet them in a way that will rebound to our credit, or whether we shall make of our dealings with these new problems a dark and shameful page in our history. To refuse to deal with them at all merely amounts to dealing with them badly. Every individual, every country, has been given problems to solve. If we undertake the solution, there is of course always the danger that we may not solve it correctly. But to refuse to undertake the solution simply renders it certain that we cannot possibly solve it correctly. The timid person, the lazy person, the one who distrusts their fellow citizens, 
who has lost the great fighting masterful virtues, the ignorant individual, and the woman and man of dull mind, whose soul is incapable of feeling the mighty lift that thrills to adventure. All these shrink from undertaking the duties that call out to them, shrink from seeing themselves do their share of the world's work by helping or inspiring others. These are the people who fear the strenuous life, who fear the only life which is really worth leading. They believe in that cloister life which saps the hearty virtues in an individual just as it saps them in a nation, or else they are wedded to that base spirit of gain and greed which sees money and physical assets as the be-all and end-all of life, instead of realizing that these are but a few of the many tools to be used to achieve true greatness. No country can long endure if its foundations are not laid deep in the material prosperity which comes from thrift, from business energy and enterprise, from hard unsparing effort in the fields of industrial activity. But neither was any nation ever yet truly great if it relied upon material prosperity alone. All honor must be paid to the architects of a nation's material prosperity, to the great captains of industry who have built the factories and the railroads, to the strong entrepreneurs who toil for wealth with brain and hand, for great is the debt of the nation to these and their kind. However, we have more work to do, and that work must be done. We cannot escape our responsibility to our communities and to the world. And if we are worth our salt, we shall be glad of the chance to do the work, glad of the chance to show ourselves equal to one of the great tasks of modern civilization. But let us not deceive ourselves as to the difficulties of the task, let us not be misled by vanity into underestimating the strain it will put on our powers. Let us face the responsibility with proper seriousness, courage, and high resolve. And let us demand the highest order of integrity and ability in our public servants, who also are to grapple with these new problems. We must hold to a rigid accountability those politicians who show unfaithfulness to the interests of the public, or an inability to rise to the high level of the new demands upon our strength and our resources. We must see that there is civic duty, civic courage, civic good sense in our administration of cities, state, and nation. We must strive for honesty in office, for honesty toward the public and the individual, for the widest freedom of individual initiative where possible, and for the wisest control of individual initiative where it is hostile to the welfare of the many. But because we set our own household in order, we are not thereby excused from playing our part in the great affairs of the nation. A person's first duty is to their home and community, but they are not thereby excused from doing their duty to their country. For if we fail in this second duty, 
it is under the penalty of ceasing to be free women and men. In the same way, while a nation's first duty is within its borders, it is not thereby absolved from facing its duties in the world as a whole, and if it refuses to do so, it nearly forfeits its right to struggle for a place among the peoples that shape the destiny of humankind. I preach to you then, my friends, that our country calls not for a life of ease, but for a life of strenuous endeavor. The 21st century looms before us with new problems to be solved, new difficulties to be overcome, new battles to be fought. Let us therefore boldly face the life of strife, resolute to do our duty well and truly, resolute to uphold righteousness by deed and by word, resolute to be both honest and brave to serve high ideals, yet to use practical methods, for that is the only way to win the goal of true greatness.